Our guest today is someone who made international headlines last year. Of the many major changes amidst the music industry's Me Too movement, one of the biggest changes came last June when ARIA chair and Sony music boss Dennis Hanlon was ousted from both roles. It was a major move from both Sony and ARIA. Dennis had held his role as ARIA chair for more than two decades and had been a member of the ARIA board since 1984. So when Natalie Waller was announced as the brand new chair of ARIA, it was justifiably global news. For me, Nat was the obvious and welcome choice. She's been working at ABC Music since 1998. She's on the Country Music Association board and she's chair of the CMA Australian Task Force. She's also been head of ABC Music for a decade now. And while this chat was meant to take place at Big Sound this year, we finally have her here with us at the Bragg Media headquarters in Sydney. Nat, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yay. Okay, I want to start with your origin story. How did you go from joining ABC Music in 1998 as a business assistant to heading up ABC Music and also becoming chair of ARIA? Well, it wasn't planned, I'd say. I'd say, you know, leaving school, um, tertiary education, I just, I never thought to work in the music industry. I didn't really think that was a job that you could do unless you could sing or play an instrument, which I was unfortunately tone deaf as far as <laughs> singing goes. And, um, yeah, so I, I kind of just fell into working at the ABC through a, a friend of mine was working there and said, hey, there's a job going in music, and I didn't really know what that meant. And so, but I went for the job because I had business skills and I thought I could do this until I work out what I want to do. And once I went through the doors, I suppose, I was like, wow, like, this is, you know, a, a real job. This is actually an industry I'd love to work in. And the more, um, you know, the more I learned and the more I, I worked in, the more I wanted to, I knew this was sort of the path I wanted to take. I mean, I wouldn't say at the time I knew. If I look back, I could, you know, I sort of, you know, felt it fell that way, I suppose. Like I went from business assistant to business coordinator, business manager, and um, I just progressed within the company, which is kind of a bit unusual these days I suppose people jump around more but um my role changed so much and the industry changed so much I was always learning and always changing so for me as much as I've been at ABC Music for over 24 years I've done so much in that time and learned so much and everything's just changed so much so yeah so that's kind of how I ended up there as and as far as chair um to be honest that was a complete surprise for me I suppose, you know, if I'm honest, I'd say that I didn't expect it at all. I expected it maybe to be one of the the men on the board or majors, mm-hmm. um, just because that's how it's always been. And as we know, we shouldn't expect how it's always been to be how it is in the future. And so it was, a, you know, it was a complete shock for me, to be even, honest. Even with Annabelle heading up ARIA, you thought, well, okay, history tells me it's a male role, so I'll probably be overlooked. Now I know Annabelle, and remember it's the board's decision um, to vote, not Annabelle's, but now I know Annabelle. I didn't know Annabelle that well then. Annabelle was new, and Annabelle is amazing. And, um, yep. you know, I love working with Annabelle. So, um, But at that stage, we were in COVID. I think we'd met in person once. You know, we'd you know spoke on the phone and zoomed and all that and had you know board meetings, but um, yeah, it was the the board's support obviously because they're the ones that vote and um, yeah, I was just I don't know overwhelmed and overwhelmed with the the response that I got in su- support from the industry and 
from people I knew, people I didn't know, people I'd met once by various forms. Like I, I would say I got like 700 messages in various ways, whether it be <laughs> Instagram message, an email, a phone call, a text message. Like, and, you know, it kind of made me realise what a significant moment that was mm. just for change. Um, but as you say, Annabelle, now I know Annabelle so well and we work so closely together like she is an amazing woman in our industry so um but but the board have been so supportive of me and um during that time I I, like I said I just had no idea that I would even be an option so so can you unpack for us how a board at ARIA chooses the chair so how how did that come about um and why was it a surprise did you not even think you were in the running did you apply tell us about the process I didn't apply, no. Um, it's a voting system. I obviously can't go into too much board um, mm. information, but, you know, it is a voted on by the board and, um, you know, someone could elect you uh, to to be voted on and you have to accept, obviously, if someone said, I elect Natalie and I say, well, I don't want that, then I wouldn't. But, um, mm. yeah, so it's as simple as that. And there's, you know, sometimes... Um, yeah, lead up discussions, but it's you know it's at a board meeting and it's voted on, and um, that's the way it went. And so. my my curiosity is that the last chairman was um, also the head of a major. You know, they're very they're a commercial business. They're mm-hmm. there to make profit. Um, yeah. And you're at a non for profit, effectively, or you know, government organisation. Do you feel that um, the fact that you're head of the ABC as opposed to the head of other ma- major companies that are you know commercial that are a commercial business do you feel like that kind of puts you in a place of less conflict of interest perhaps um than a chair that might be at the as a head of a major um i'm not really sure but so look what i will say is although i am at the abc non-for-profit um the i work for the music label that is sits in the commercial area of the abc so we make money and so we have a profit each financial year which we give that 100% of our profit back into the ABC so we're operating in a you know commercial environment um, but in a non-commercial organization but that money all goes back into supporting ABC programming and ABC you know at large so and is um, it run like a commercial business where you know you get bonuses and and staff are incentivized to grow revenue and then you know if the business doesn't make revenue is there a risk of it being shut down like is it is it um is it backstopped and sort of socialized in a way that if it's not going well it's all good we still need this as a program or is it purely there for commercial gain for the ABC um Look, obviously there are budgets to meet and um, targets, um, but, you know, I think the arts is very important to the ABC and, um, you know, in my position, in what I do, I am there to make a profit. Um, Anything more about the ABC above my head would be a question for somebody else. But, um, but yeah, I, I am there to make money and give back to the ABC, but also support, um, you know, the various uh, programs and brands across the ABC. So there are things that we may do that may not make money, but we we know we're extending um, that brand or the audience and the reach because, you know, the ABC is there to reach mm. all Australians. And so being on commercial platforms or releasing something commercially, um, you know, reaches more Australians in the way they consume music in my you know in my world so 
Yeah, there definitely is a profit. That's an interesting line, you know, reaching more Australians as well, Mm. because one of the things I love about ABC Music is there's this focus on local artists, Australian artists, and focus on really different genres as well, genres that some of the other labels Mm. don't really focus on. Obviously, children's music is one of them with the Wiggles Mm. and a bunch of others. Mm -hmm. Is that a great point of difference for you? Do you see that as a competitive advantage when you compare yourself to other labels? Look, I think so. I think we've evolved into that. We've always played in the niche genres Mm. and... um, and that, um, you know, and also a domestic roster. So that's, we do have some international artists, but predominantly it's a domestic roster. And so, and you can just see by our ARIA nominations over the various decades, like we really punch above our weight mm-hmm. because we get nominated in those niche genres, like, you know, country and kids and jazz and classical and world. And, you know, so, um, yeah, look, it is... We do well in those areas and I think we excel and we, we've got expertise in those areas. Um, we don't compete as much in, say, the pop space, um, you know, because um, I suppose we don't have um, the, the clout that a major does have in them, the money and in, in, in to uh, risk, I suppose. So, but we are part... But also I think if the government was competing with commercial businesses, Australian businesses, it probably... Um, might not be the purpose of what... Uh, the, the, to me, the incredible thing about what Triple J was and what ABC Music is doing is that they're investing in super important parts in the arts that the commercial companies just don't want to do or can't do or whatever. So, um, you know, if the ABC did start to just start to compete with the commercial businesses, I feel like it would kind of... Um, lose its lose what's spe- what is so special why it's so special what do you mean when you say what triple j was was is you okay. know like you know the commercial i mean the maybe i said was maybe it's a freudian slip because i think the playlists with the commercial stations are maybe becoming more similar mm. but um at least when it started no one was playing all that like the kind of music triple j are uh triple j were and maybe because the playlists are becoming so similar is because Triple J was so successful. So mm. the commercials are now trying to, like, kind of cut their lunch. Mm. Yeah, um, interesting. So, um, and I think that is what is so brilliant about that whole ABC model. Um, and so it kind of makes sense that you guys wouldn't be going after pop stars because that's well and truly serviced by the commercial um, mm. industry, you know? Also, those music videos are so expensive to create. Like, if you're a pop star, mm. you got to spend a lot. Well, yeah, and I think things um, like so talking of Triple J, like like a version, and recently bars of steel, and just um, you know that's something the audience want to you know they tune in on Friday, hear their like a version, and they want to then consume it again. And so for us to put that on commercial platforms for people to have it on demand, whether it be you know YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, you know wherever they consume their music, and um, you know so that's all part of the ABC's reach so and they are commercial platforms so the ABC should receive money for for that mm. and therefore pay through to the artists and mm. do you guys get any favors with Triple J because you're under the same ABC umbrella <laughs> no <laughs> we don't <laughs> um we have to pitch like anyone else if you mean like our signed artists yeah, yeah no absolutely not um we um, often won't be the people that would pitch in, would be our publicists with our, you know, partner. Um, yeah, definitely not. Um, very, very careful of that. Um, when I, when we did pitch in the Wiggles like a version, uh, I was really nervous, to be honest, and because I, yeah, I just didn't know how it would go and it was 
so well received and um couldn't have been more well received yeah, no. <laughs> what made you nervous about it i think because um you know because it was us like i think sometimes i'm worried like i don't you know i we never wanted to be seen to be getting favors and, and triple j would never give us favors um i think it was um you know for me it was like very obvious but then in another way uh, i wasn't sure you know whether triple j would find it as obvious and they did they did absolutely like they were like this is awesome let's do this straight away there was no hesitation so um yeah and then the results sort of spoke for themselves number one (laughs) oh my god well let's talk about the wiggles actually because they are our current cover stars of rolling stone it was so incredible to work on Jake worked on it, Bella worked on it, our creative director Katie worked on it. It was the shoot was in, insane. They were also extremely creative themselves working on it. And you know, they wrote a song mm-hmm. um, about being on the cover of Rolling Stone. Mm. Um, what is it like to work with them compared to other artists that are maybe not in that genre on your label? The Wiggles are very unique and amazing to work with and it's always crazy. It's always you never know what's happening next. Um the good thing about the Wiggles is they're so spontaneous and they're so hardworking. Like they are always on, always working. I mean, they've done over 250 shows this year oh alone. Gosh. Like, and, you know, I think um, actually 300, 300, 300 shows this year. And um, two arena shows. Like, it's just constant, constant and, you know, spontaneous, which is great. And they've they've got everything in-house. So they've got studios, they've, you know, they can film. And if you need something done, it can be done by them, you know, time, you know, given, but, you know, the next day kind of thing. It's like, you know, and they're, they're fun people. They're entertainers, they're talented. Like, it's just, yeah, an awesome group of people to be around. And that's including the actual Wiggles, but the Wiggles team too. So it's, it is very unique. It's hard to explain. You kind of need to come into Wiggle World to understand, but it's, yeah, awesome. That's why we called our cover feature the Wacky World of the Wiggles, because it's so wacky. It is wacky, yeah, Yeah, it is. (laughs) Do you feel like as the label you don't have to be as involved because they're an ideas machine, they have all of the resources at their um, feet really, um, and their own team as well? Like how involved is the label then in the day-to-day? Look, actually very involved, and that's the, the... the other great thing about the relationship is, I mean, we've worked together for the ABC and the Wiggle of like 30 years, um, myself over 24 years, and um, yeah, very collaborative. Like, we'll come to them with ideas, um, they'll come to us. Like, it's actually a very much a two way street, and so that, and that's what I love about it. Like, we're very involved in what they're doing, and we know what they're doing next, and you know, as I said, there is a lot of spontaneity where they'll suddenly go this is happening now and you sort of go great let's just pivot and go that way but um yeah it is very much a two-way street so we we probably speak to them almost every day Mm. do you know what's wild to me though they haven't won a grammy like a children's music grammy why is that it's a very very good question um it is wild to me too like i don't understand how you know the big, arguably the biggest children's band in the world. I mean, they've sold out Madison Square Garden, you know, huge wow. in the US, Canada, Australia, across the globe, and yeah, no Grammy. So um, maybe this year, maybe next year, next Grammys. That's that's what that's what the goal is anyway. Yeah, that's actually a, a goal of ours. It's interesting because I don't know that much about the Grammys voting process and how mm-hmm. it works, but I know that they have a process in the lead up to nominations with yeah. the for your consideration process. 
that's you almost have to campaign before the campaign starts. Yes, and it's um, you know because it's not how we roll here, and so we don't understand the process, and we've actually spent time learning the process and 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 you know we we actually are going after a grammy nomination this year Good. so um fingers crossed i think voting's open now <laughs> so not that we can vote but you know um yeah so we think of all the years you think with number one album number one hottest 100 rolling stone covers like it's just how can they not get a grammy mm. <laughs> at least a nomination mm. so um i'd love to chat about you taking over the reins as the ARIA chair. That happened last year. What month was that? July. July. So um, yep. just over a year now. And I'm curious to know there was a, you know, a very, um, I guess, big personality in the chair before. Um, and so I would imagine now that there has been almost a complete opposite person in the chair now, <laughs> um, that there's a huge change in direction. Um, so what are the things that Aria are doing now where you feel like the vision's changed, the way you operate's different? Like, what, what Can you talk to us about any um, pivots or, or, or movements within Aria since that sort of changing the guard? Look, you know, I, I can't really get into board, you know, discussions. I think what I can say is that, you know, Aria is ever evolving and, you know, aligning with what's going on in the industry and making sure that we're making positive change and, you know, we're not set in, you know, what we're doing. We're always listening and learning and seeing how we can improve, improve whether it be charts, whether it be awards. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, that that's that hasn't changed. Like we, we have always been evolving. I think, um, you know, it's, it is a fantastic group of people on the board. Uh, the ARIA team, headed up by Annabelle, you know, and then you know, and Lynn Small, amazing people, amazing team. And I just think that that's, you know, continued. And I think in this current time that we're in, which is a time of change and, you know, really stepping up and um, making, you know, hard decisions and, and listening to and learning from what we need to do next and how we can make a positive future for the industry, I think, you know that's that's what we're doing and continue to do and um i think we've got the right team and the right board and so i think yeah we're in a, a good place to make that change yeah there's um the listening and learning things really interesting because i obviously you, you know you you would have seen all of the uh you know people talking about gender nominations and gender awards and stuff that was happening this week um and i think like how do you differentiate? So how are you... Uh, I'm curious to know about the process of listening and learning because, like, you know, there are some voices and some ideas which are more valid than others. You know, there are some people, just because you are the most offended doesn't mean you're the most right. Um, and so how, as a board, do you then process, like, what is noise and what is real? Um, if I look at, like, you know, the... Um, and these are sincere questions, by the way. So, mm. like, I'm trying to work out, you know, the... You know, there, there was at some point, you know, we changed, I think it was 2001, maybe 2000, when there was the gendered awards went away. Um, oh, and that was last year, 2021. Cool, yeah. cool. So, um, you know, I can, ima I can imagine um, the thought process that went into why that decision was the case. And then it's about tracking the data, I imagine, and seeing did, you know, what was the, what was the goal for a decision like that? And then what is the data that we're looking at to see if we're achieving that goal? Mm. Um, and so I'm curious to know how how you listen and learn at ARIA. Is it, um, do you listen to the person who makes the most noise on Twitter or are you looking at data or how, how you guys like, 
um, processing and adapting to these very complicated um, and sensitive decisions where no doubt whatever decision you make is going to piss people off. But how do you make sure that um, you feel what you're doing is right and kind of like um, assess the success or mistakes based on um, based on those kind of the outcomes that you see? I think um, the decision around the gender-based award was based on inclusion, as you know, I'm sure you're aware, and, and to include you know, non, non-binary, female, male, like it, it was, you know, an inclusive decision. And I think, um, yeah, you're always going to get people that agree and disagree. Um, the Grammys have done it for years. The Brits followed, you know, did after us. Um, and, you know, it is about, you know, that inclusiveness of the, the best solo artist. You've got the best group, which isn't gender-based mm. and never has been. So um, so that was the reason for that decision. And, of course, n- no, not the loudest voice is the one we listen to. We listen to all the loudest and the quietest. Um, and, you know, there's, um, you know, surveys and questionnaires and things that we ask during um, voting and there's just it's just always being open to feedback, whether it be directly from artists, managers, through labels, or however you know we we listen to everybody. So um, that's the only way we're going to learn, and it's definitely not just through the loudest voice. Mm. So so what I'm getting is that it's like more um, I guess qualitative assessments, talking to people and understanding, as opposed to looking at raw data metrics and going. Um, you know, like we are, we are more inclusive based on these metrics. Or, for oh, example, no, we do look at metrics. Like, you know, um, there's years like you know this this year where actually you know we have one percent more females nominated this year, but it's cyclical. Like, there's mm-hmm. years where say Amy Shark won all the awards. You know, mm. there's it depends on releases and, and then who people vote for. And so we, we, we can't tell people who to vote for and it's not the board's decision, it's not, you know, the staff's decision. And so it is, you know, is looking at that and going, okay, so, um, you know, we do take that data. We look at, you know, how amazing this year First Nations have represented, artists are represented, and we look at the genres and, and you know, who went to the genres and and the data on each genre. So data absolutely comes into it because you learn so much from data and then you can make educated decisions for the next awards. It's super interesting you talk about... I just want to stress this point that ARIA aren't choosing the nominations and choosing the winners. Like, it yeah. is the whole industry. I get a thing in my inbox that says, mm. go and vote for who you want to ARIA. Mm. I don't know how many people are on that panel, but there are a lot of people on that panel. Yeah. It's the industry that votes. So And then the public too. Maybe yeah, that's for some yeah, categories. Yeah. So, like, to I think the um, the anger towards the um, like lack of representation for whatever um, you know, well, for whatever group of people that you feel is underrepresented is misguided if it's guided at Aria, I believe. And of course, like, there is some sort of influence that Aria would have on choosing are we going to have gendered awards or not. I think that's a really like key key decision of influence but then who actually gets voted for is not you within your influence i parallel it to when everybody was really angry at the promoters for the festival um diversity issues on the lineup and um i always said even back then that the promoters are downstream they can only catch what comes downstream what is the the artist that that will sell the most tickets so they can have a viable business now how do more females and more um, people of all diverse backgrounds get downstream. Well, that starts up at label investments, radio play, media coverage. It's if all the promoters can do 
is um, catch what's downstream, then you could summarize that it's probably not their fault if their lineup isn't that diverse. Now, there's gray area in there. Of course, there are some uh, promoters who could be doing more than others, but as a general rule across the board, I felt like they got a really raw deal. And I see RER, um, based on the backlash that's happening this week, almost going through a similar thing where, for starters, promoters were picking the lineups. ARIA aren't picking the nominations, so there's, they're even more step removed. But they are downstream of what is getting commercial traction. Who are the types of artists that are selling a lot of records, selling a lot of tickets, doing all of that, uh, getting a lot of radio play? These are the artists that get nominated for ARIA Awards and win ARIA Awards. Um, it is not ARIA's fault if there is not a diversity of artists that are selling a lot of tickets and selling a lot of records. Like That problem needs to be solved upstream. Um, and so I'm, I'm really paralleling kind of what your organization is going mm. through now to what the promoters were going through, you know, maybe two, three years ago. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also think that any backlash that's happening right now towards the Arias in a huge way just legitimizes the Aria Awards as a ceremony. Like, I think that mm. anyone who's out there saying, actually, fuck the Arias, we don't need them. What you're really telling me is that they're important to you and mm. that you care. Um, and that's why it's important. Mm, absolutely. And look, that's the thing. I mean, we care. We care about diversity. We care about inclusion. And, and we want the most inclusion, inclusive and diverse areas. But you're right. It, it starts at the source. And it starts at, you know, who's being voted for. Um, you know, what we can do is make sure we're including presenters and performances and, you know, and, but again, with performances, you know, there's highly nominated artists, but, you know, that that's where we can do a bit more. But, you know, it's, it is about who gets voted on um, by the judging panel. Yeah. And, and which starts at the source on who is being... Who's yeah, selling tickets, selling who's t- streaming exactly. numbers. Um, can you talk us about the move of the ARI Awards um, from the casino chip location to the Horden across the road from our office. We just wanted to make it more convenient for you. Yeah, great. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate so, And um, can, you know, if we use this as a change room. Um, <laughs> you could, literally could if you wanted to. Could be the green room. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, look, I mean, the Horden is iconic, right? For, um, I think my first um, concert that I went to without my mum uh, was at the Horden Pavilion. Like, so, and... Who was that that you went and saw? Um, it was a, a, a line it was Huda Gurus headlining oh. and it was where, you know, the entrance faced the other way and, um, you know, I think I was like 14. I, my first concert was Eurythmics with my mum. Um, That's I was a good like one. 12. I was in year seven and I um, was very tired. She took me to an after party and my stepfather was um, in the film industry and he filmed a lot of concerts and so... Um, my mum was very, um, you know, my upbringing for, for music. She's the reason I love music and around music. My brother's a DJ, my sister's a DJ. Like, it's just music, you know, in our household. And so she took me to a Eurythmics concert and, um, yeah, the next day I failed my science exam and I was very upset. Thanks, Mum. I was, like, 12. And, yeah, but, um, but yeah, Horton Pavilion, it's, it's just an iconic venue and I, I think, you know, the, the partnerships... Is a, a great partnership, and um, you know, it's. I think it's going to be amazing. I think it's a perfect space for an ARIA Awards. 
So just back to speaking on diversity and inclusion within the ARIA Awards and everything, Dan Rosen actually was quite public about it. He made a public apology about the snubbing of Sam the Great's best hip-hop hip release win. Um, that was during the broadcast in 2019. Kaik was also slightly snubbed there. And I'll read the apology that he said in 2020. He said, I regret we didn't take the opportunity to provide the national platform that those wins warranted, and I apologise for that. I thought that was a really great move um, on his part and, and really important to recognise that. But I wondered if you could take me into the boardroom that with the chats that followed that backlash. Like, was there um, a conversation around it? What were the outcomes, if so? Um, well, I can't really take you into the boardroom. You're not allowed in there. No, Got not it. allowed in there. The door is closed. Um, <laughs> But, you know, um, Dan obviously um, had, you know, represented us well and, um, yeah, I suppose that's the result, right? But, um, but there, yeah, I, I can't really go into what was discussed at the time but what I can say is that, yeah, like, like I've said before, we're always looking to improve, always looking to, you know, evolve with the industry and change where we need to change and listen and learn and, and you know, be inclusive of, of all music and artists. Can I ask a hypothetical question? If we see the data over the next five years, hypothetically, mm -hmm. and the with the intent that the non-gendered awards or removing gendered awards is to become more inclusive actually results in women significantly getting less um, wins, would Aria look at that data and go, okay, maybe we need a change? Or um, is there something else you're considering when you've made that decision that that, that, wouldn't, that outcome wouldn't influence a change back? Look, I couldn't say it would or it wouldn't. That would be something that would need to be discussed with the board. That's not my decision to solely make or comment too much on, but I'd just say that we'd always be looking at, at the data. So, um, you know, I can't say we wouldn't or we would. I can mm. just say that we're, we'd look at the data and see what it's telling us and, and seeing how, um, how we evolve and, and keep moving forward. You mentioned that the women um, have more are more represented. Re you mentioned that women are more represented in this year's nominations too, as well. So that's really good, given yeah, last year, year yeah. gendered awards were gotten rid of, and now we actually see an uptick in women, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I can see there's a huge concerted effort in terms of the voting process. Like I found it really interesting when I interesting when I went on, um, and it asked me these profiling questions of like my um, nationality and where I'm from and whether I identify as First Nations. So, mm -hmm. is that part of a larger uh, remit around ensuring diversity and inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, the judging panel is we want a, a diverse group of people judging. So, you know, collecting that data helps us make sure that we have, you know, enough people, the right people and, and a diverse group of people. And so, yeah, those questions are very helpful if you answered them. Thank you to help inform us of that. Yeah, absolutely. Country music. So obviously you're a huge major player in that world. How can we get more local country artists, not only on the global stage, but on the main stage here in Australia? You know, we have so many incredible country music festivals, CMC Rocks is soon. Um, that's a really good example of one where we could get our local artists on those major stages as headliners. How can we make that happen? Um, yeah, mil the million dollar question. Look, I, I mean, I'm country music something that um a, a genre that i didn't grow up with that i through working with abc music um that i 
learnt to love and respect and have a, a very strong passion for um, you know, seeing country music in Australia succeed. And I think we have so much talent and I see what's happening in, in, in America, in, in Nashville, in, well, and just in the States in general, what a huge genre it is. And, you know, and it's exciting to see the changes and the rumblings here. You've said, you know, we've got more country festivals than we ever did. Um, we have, you know, international artists coming coming to Australia and really taking Australia as a serious market. We're the third market in the world, US, Canada, than Australia for country music as a genre. I think, um, you know, Festivals like CMC Rocks, um, tours, uh, I think it's really important that Australians get on those stages and they and they do. And um, so if you've got um, Morgan Wallen, for example, um, you know, headlining tour uh, as a festival, then to have, you know, Travis Collins on, you know, that stage, you know, at that festival, um, it's it that's it, it it helps the Australian artists be on that same stage, you know. In saying that, I think um, the country fans are so um, loyal, so mm. very very loyal, and you know whether it's an all Australian lineup or there's internationals, you know they are, where there's a very loyal fan base. But we need to, and you know this is you know what the goal is to be able to, you know, have Australian artists recognise outside of Australia in a global global way and um, they not have to move to Nashville to do so. At, at the moment, you, you really do need to move to Nashville to have that. Um, and there's, you know, just such amazing talent here. I mean, we've, and, you know, we've got people like Lee Kernigan who has had, you know, over 30 years a career um, and does national tours and he's a household name. But then you've got the the young artists that are coming up, which are really exciting to see. Um, that I think the twenty year olds these days, the, the the younger people aren't looking at genres as much as we used to in, in in my age group. I suppose we they just look at a song, and you can see that with Luke Combs, like Luke Combs sold out in seconds. I think it was minutes. Um, and you know he's he's not getting mainstream radio. He's not getting mainstream playlists, but he has this mainstream appeal and, and has a really young audience. And it's like, so well, how do we take that young audience for Luke Combs and go, well, hey, we've got a whole lot of amazing artists here ourselves so that, you know, are fantastic and to, to give them that fan base too. So it's a real a genre of a lot of potential and, um, you know, I think it's going in the right direction. I think, you know, DSPs, media... Radio are, you know, taking notice. I think there could be no, more notice taken. Um, and, you know, I think we should be, you know, trying to propel our, our Aussies into the global market more. That's Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm in a CMC Rocks, like, fan group on Facebook, yes. and yeah. it's the most active Facebook group I'm, I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I know, it's an, and I mean, there's so many great festivals. And there's in the Discovery festivals like Groundwater, which is a free festival in Broadbeach, you know, and then there's, you know, Gimpy Master and Denny and Savannah and there's just, you know, so many and they're popping up everywhere. There was a new one in Port Macquarie. I forgot the name of them, so sorry. But, um, yeah, they're, and, and they're getting these big audiences and this young audience. And I think the, you know, maybe the media and the radio and TV probably just a step behind seeing that. And when you go there and see the audience, like I just went to Seems to Rocks in September, 
and there's you know there's there's kids and families but there's a lot of 20 year olds and 30 year olds singing along to songs that haven't been on mainstream radio they haven't been on mainstream playlists and so they're discovering them and they're they're engaging with them and buying a festival ticket and buying a you know a ticket to their show so it's an exciting time but also I think you know we've got lots of work to do Natalie, you don't do many interviews, so we're very grateful that you've come on Fear at the Top. Uh, your career is incredibly impressive. The Australian industry as a whole is very lucky to have you at the chair of ARIA. Um, we're very grateful. I want you to leave us with something um, about what you want your legacy to be, either when eventually you hang up hang up the bite and boots at ARIA or at ABC or whatever it is in your career. How do you want to be remembered by? Um, and then... After that, it would be awesome if you could share us a mistake you've made and what we can learn from that. Oh, gosh. Um, what do I want to be remembered for? Like, I, yeah, I, I'm i very much not in, in front of camera, in front of, you know, microphone kind of person. I'm very much a behind-the-scenes person. But um, I suppose I just want to be remembered for um, nurturing talent and giving, you know, I always think there's so many talented people out there and you you need to give them the opportunity to be heard. And so I don't know, I suppose I would I'd want people to think that, you know, that I gave them that opportunity, that I helped their career. Like I think of there's so many artists, young particularly young females recently on our label like Little Quirks, Melanie Dyer, Imogen Rain, Caitlin Shabot that are coming through that I think um you know, I, I'd love to see them, you know, break through and sort of by, that I had a hand in that, I suppose, and just give them give them a voice, give them a stage, give them the opportunity. Um, I suppose that's kind of pretty obvious, but that, that's... No, that's probably, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, yeah. I love the little quirks. One of my favourite gigs I've ever been to. Oh, yeah, how so much fun. you just can't help but smile and yeah. jump. It's so joyful. <laughs> it's just yeah. so joyful. I first saw them at Big Sound and I just was like, oh, my God, these... I'm so happy when I left. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So please tell us your biggest fuck up, your biggest mistake, <laughs> something that we can, something we can take and learn from. Oh God. Um, oh gosh. I feel like <laughs> there's, there's so many mistakes. You kind of, <laughs> and the biggest thing is learning from your mistakes. I'm just trying to think my biggest mistake. I mean, maybe it's not the biggest. What's what comes to mind? Maybe oh. the one you learnt from the most. You learnt the most from. Um. I suppose this is not a singular mistake. It's probably more of a thing that where I didn't speak up a lot in my sort of 20s and 30s. I um, I felt like I had a lot to say, but I didn't say it. And probably that's something I've learnt. Um, Do you mean socially or within the organisation? Within the organisation. with, And, you know, I think I was... You know, and that's probably due to who was there at the time and whatever. And, and so then I had an amazing boss, Robert Patterson, who really gave me a voice. And then I realized how much I, you know, I, I actually do know this. Or I, how I did know. he give you a voice? Um, he listened to me, asked me. He, um, you know, he also sort of mentored me and he guided me. And so um, I felt listened to. So the more you listen to, the more you kind of say, right? So... And I think um, that's something then I've learned that I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm perfect at this either, but that I want to make sure that everyone in my team 
has a voice and is listened to. So because you just never know what some, someone, you know, whether it be an artist they've found or whether it be, you know, an idea, whether it be a strategy, whatever it is, like, you know, um, we can learn so much off each other. Like, you know, just because there's a hierarchy, it doesn't mean that the people at the top know everything. Like there's, um, so I think that's probably what I learned from, what I'd say was a mistake. So it's not kind of one thing, it's a thing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, that's awesome. When someone gives you the space and permission to speak, you're more relaxed and Mm. then just the ideas start flowing. There's no like anxiety around sharing things that are going to help because you'd been there a while you you knew what Mm. you knew your stuff um you just needed to give be given the space in order to share that knowledge yeah and not Mm. feel stupid like you know feel heard so yeah so natalie thank you so much that (laughs) was awesome that was awesome thank Thank you you. so much (laughs) 